Hi everyone, uh, Dave here from a very foggy Leeds in my back garden, sat on my old Saltergate seats as always to introduce this week's episode of the podcast. Now this week, how do you write about football? Uh, that's something I've been thinking about recently as I've been doing obviously a bit of writing for the fanzine and quite a lot of supporters have written their first ever pieces about football for the fanzine as well. Um, so this week I spoke to Daniel Gray. Now I was on the When Saturday Comes podcast a few weeks back now talking about Chesterfield uh, and it was Dan that did that segment uh, so he's very kindly agreed to return the favour. I've always been a big fan of his writing anyway. He's very much a writer that uh, comes from uh, the approach of being in the stands rather than the press box. Uh, he's absolutely brilliant at picking up those things that people say on the way to matches or during matches and getting those little nuggets of that match day experience into a book. His latest book, The Science of the Stands, which is here, is out now and is all about that period coming out of COVID when people were going to games again for the first time. Those kind of, you know, people being two metres apart and uh, are you allowed to sing or not, all that stuff. And he picks up on some great little bits uh, of kind of social history that he uh, notes down in this book. If you're not a big reader, it's in very uh, accessible bite-size uh, chunks of chapters that are all about specific matches. If you are a big reader, then the way he talks and the metaphors and things that he uses about football are absolutely brilliant, so do check it out. As always, I am on uh, Instagram and Twitter as at Spire Legends and also on Facebook if you just search Legends of the Spire. Uh, and the new fanzine, actually, funnily enough, uh, should be out this week as well. So look out for it. But in the meantime, here we are with Daniel Gray talking about his latest book, The Silence of the Stands. Go get it. And here we go. I've just been working my way through your new book, which I have there, uh, which uh, it's, I mean, it is just those universal things that we all kind of didn't, maybe didn't realise that we missed, but we did miss, didn't we, yeah. throughout those whole COVID times. Yeah. It must have been nice for you getting like, being one of the first people to go back into all those yeah. games again. Yeah, but of course it was, there was a guilt about it because some of them were behind closed doors, so it was on the press bus. And then the first one, the first proper chapter in the book is Middlesbrough, my team, get, getting a ticket when there was only a thousand available in those experimental games. So there was a certain guilt. And then there was the not it not being the same. So you're not, you've not got your rituals. And we know how much going to football is about rituals and doing the mm -hmm. same thing and seeing the same people. So you're going on your own. I can't drive, so I'm on the train and I was walking to the ground and no one else was walking to the ground. You instructed it where possible to drive to the ground because it was safer. So yeah, yeah. in your head, you, the night, the Friday night, you're picturing the usual burger vans and people stream, strolling towards all of those wonderful moments before three o'clock. Of course, it's just you and and uh, you know, safely checked into the car park, safely checked into the ground. So so different. But I, I can't deny it when, when, when it came just before three o'clock and people were singing, sort of checking who we allowed mm. to sing. In that yeah. particular game, it was it was a rare moment of goosebumps in a in a year of few. I think mm. I remember the the first match we were allowed back at Chesterfield. I think it was Dagenham, was it? It was like the last day of the season, um, and we were all sat in twos. So it yeah. looked like a really full stadium, but yeah. it was just that everyone was sat in twos or threes or fours uh, and things like that. And it was 
a very surreal experience, wasn't it? Yeah, and these games that I could get to were in different stages of restrictions. So when it looked like things were opening up again in the September, going to Lancaster, that was fairly open, except there was crosses on the ground for people to stand on on the terraces, uh, you know, ticker mm. tape, different types of tape at the various bars and, uh, uh, you know, tea, tea huts at Lancaster and things like that. So there were, and the two metre distancing in the in the queues and then, Workington was similar. Similar. Kendall was a day when there was going to be a press conference that night, and that was the sweeping around the terrace. Our Boris Johnson speaking at five, he's speaking at six, and you have this awareness it's going to be the last game for a while. And then mm. suddenly, Southport were able to play just before Christmas because they counted as the Liverpool region, which had gone up through the divisions, <laughs> which is why it was like a, a sort of macabre promotion and relegation system so I got down there you know people you'll, you'll never get over people in masks queuing to get through the turnstiles as a, a surreal part of life it doesn't seem real a lot of it I, I knew I was writing the book so I was taking notes the whole way through of all these different phrases at, at the time as well all these things we got used to um, and so it, and yet still looking back now to, to to talk about the book it doesn't feel real a lot of it yeah. somehow um, we'll we'll know one day about the wisdom of some of the policies, but some of them were darkly funny. You know, we all remember the, the pork pie stuff, but it pertained to football as well, where it looked like you, you could drink in the club bar, but you couldn't watch the match if it was going on outside the club bar. So there's people peeking through the curtains and things like that. Whereas, of course, we know now that being in a bar was much worse for COVID than being on a terrace. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, I love a lot of those conversations as well that you've managed to kind of note down uh, and kind of. Uh, preserve this like this one where someone's talking about you know this is one of our favorite spots and they say oh apart from when it stank of fish and there's like <laughs> there's some really weird people talking yeah. about what work they've had done during lockdowns it's like people having catch-ups isn't it because they've not yeah. seen each other yeah they've not uh, had that weekly or fortnightly interaction at home absolutely talking on lockdown. corners i think we miss talking yeah. on corners and 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 one of the great things about not being able to drive is doing everything by public transport. So you do hear more, you hear more on buses and trains. And I never use anyone's correct names. I hasten to add, but, but yeah, there are there are brilliant moments like that. There were, the Southport game reminds me coming up. It was coming up to Christmas, and there was two women on. I think it was I can't have heard them on a bus or a train. And they were talking about what chocolate they liked, and one of them said, "I can't stand bounties though. None of that defecated." coconut stuff and you just thought I've got there are moments when you're writing a book of doubt but there are many moments where you think I've got to write this because that line deserves to be in a book and and yeah it happens at football you, you know outs and and outside football but at Southport, the the two men outside the club shop, just overhearing them chatting and saying how, about how their lockdown was, as if it was how your Christmas was, and one of them going, "Oh, quiet," you know, and then they're both really laughing, and that sums up the sort of oh, the weary, dark humour of the time. I think. Yeah. So, so you've done a lot of writing about football. Mm. So I wondered what what are the things that you love about football. It's not always necessarily the game, is it? No, and it's far, far it. from it. Obviously, there are those moments that we go for, but I think if we're honest, maybe one in five or six or ten games are absolutely brilliant. Maybe fewer, depends on your team and the season they're having. So for, for me, for all as long as I can remember, I've been going since I was six. It's It's been so much more. It's been about waking up that morning, the, the, the different feeling you have on a football day. And then onwards through the, I mentioned the word rituals, the, the the people you see, the things you do the same throughout a home game, all of those and looking around at the crowd, 
I do watch the game, but <laughs> um, <laughs> observing that those things, I go to football quite a lot on my own as well to different grounds. Um, I go to Middlesbrough with a friend with a season ticket, but elsewhere I travel around, and that that gives you a sharper eye, I think, for if you're not busy chatting to someone for looking around and observing how we behave and the things we do and and say as fans mm. and all of those those minutiae of, of the game. I've done a, a few books called the Delight series where I try and capture those. So it starts with things like seeing a ground from the train is the very first one of those three books of fifty delights of football. Mm. So all of all of what yeah the, the word is the, the minutiae about it and um thankfully i found with those books that we we share these things uh, whatever team we support no matter the size of the team that's the thing and it all changes throughout time as well doesn't it because like i remember growing up we always used to get the green and after yeah. after the match you know yeah. it come out like an hour after the final whistle and you have a printed green yeah. newspaper with like a match report oh, with a few typos in it yeah yeah <laughs> but the it middle one of those books is, is called black boots and football pinks but same thing exactly and mm. that's unashamedly nostalgic that one that's about things that have mostly gone whereas the other two books are about things that are still hopefully in in the game and yeah that's and it wallowing in nostalgia is not a bad thing you know uh it, it Politically, it's a troublesome thing at times, at least to certain political decisions that aren't great. But uh, personally, and in football, I think it it was really important in COVID, actually, because we were able to fall back on highlights. Dare I mention three three Old Trafford between our two teams and, yeah. and all the all the rest of it. And and I felt really relieved to have that bank of memories and nostalgia and those items before we came on air. We were talking about scarves and different things that we mm. own and foam hands and to have those items in your hand you know i know people can't see it, it's a podcast but the one i found recently was my borough nut which these yeah. early 90s things that each club's had advertised in shoot and 90 minutes and things and and you, you hold them again and and you're back there and there's not that much wrong uh, it's harmless to be comforted by going back and football pinks are one of, one of those things mm. and i think it's a tremendous strength of being a football person is, is nostalgia really because very often as you've lived through with chesterfield in in more recent years the, the present can be pretty awful so you need a pass to wallow in i think <laughs> i regularly go down a rabbit hole of ebay yeah. kind of mm. finding old things that are on there like old rosettes and yeah, uh, yeah. you know all that different type of stuff it's just i love the physical Absolutely, like the ephemera of yeah. football. That's why I started doing the zine again, just because yeah. you kind of think a lot of things start to go digital. Yeah, kind of the natural way of things. Football, a lot of football clubs don't have a lot of money. So it's natural that a lot of things go digital. But having like a paper thing, yeah, uh, it's just it's just nice, isn't it? it? It really is. I'm so I was so glad. One one of the reasons that well, the main reason we met was was you doing a paper fanzine again, and it, it's it's a it's a it's a really uh, it's a resurgence, actually. I, I wouldn't, it's quite a strong word, but there are a number of newer fanzines as well as some that have have maintained, and it, it's definitely about that. And it's not just people of of our age; it's it's younger as well. Suddenly realizing that it's quite nice to look away from a screen every now and again. Yeah. A fanzine you can read really beautifully with a pint. Um, scrolling through your phone is going to use to the lead to the usual anxiety, whereas a, a, mm. a, a nice bit of paper won't. And all of those. I, I've been just uh, doing a big tidy up in our house and putting all my all my memorabilia in one place it's been a really lovely process and i found this one old mug of pens of loads of different clubs <laughs> there's oldham halifax all sorts of clubs in there and it just brought back that in the early early 90s early to mid 90s 
when my dad was looking after me after my dad had split up in those long summers and couldn't think what to do, we would drive off from York where I grew up to different football grounds and buy a pen. And I've got all of these pens. And so I pick up the Halifax one. And I remember that Jimmy Case, the former Liverpool midfielder himself, sold me that pen because we went into this building in the middle of Halifax after the person at the Shea directed us there. And it was the club offices. And he was there. He was manager of Halifax at the time. And he was manning the uh, stall and gave me the pen. So I've got my Jimmy Case pen in this book and all of these others. And each one spirals me off to a different day during that, that those couple of summers with my dad. And that that can never be felt about a tweet. That's mm. a long, a long winded way of of, um, of of grumbling about modernity. But there you are. Yeah, I, I met a guy for the latest fanzine who has collected over the last few years every home away and third Chesterfield kit for the last yeah. kind of 20, 30 years. You know, and he's got them in little box room, and he's got these two rails of shirts all in date order, oh, yes. most of them match worn. Yes. And he's kind of talking about how, you know, he got the first one and then he was like, oh, there's probably six or seven I'd quite like to have. And then he yeah. gets those and then you think, well, actually, I quite like getting the match worn thing now. And then he, you kind of get more and more and more. And it was the same with me as well. Growing up, I used to go to my dad to watch Nottingham Hoods, American football team, when British yeah. American football was kind of yeah. a thing. And each game you could collect, you could buy a little plastic American football helmet for each of the teams in the oh, uh, in the NFL. Yeah. And each week, each time we went, I would get one. And eventually I had all of the 30-odd teams at the time that oh. were in the NFL. And like those things that you just buy yeah. at the grounds and stuff, it's just, oh, it's just great. Yeah. I, 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 feel, I think I remember those. Like, did they almost fit in a, a thimble? Uh, no, yeah, I could picture like them in a, of, yeah, yeah like in kind a, of fifty in a, piece in a, in a grandma's them. thimble collection. Yeah, yeah. Put, putting them in one of those uh, wooden cases that'll be a thing of beauty. Yeah, oh, they're amazing. <laughs> so, how does writing about football change how you watch football? Because I've noticed when I've started doing the podcast, talking to footballers, I now I think I behave a lot differently at football matches. Mm. I have a bit of a different appreciation of who yeah. they are what they go through on a pitch, all of that stuff. And I watch the game a bit differently. I wonder, as, as a writer, does that then change how you watch a football match? It, 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 a similar thing with, because I do podcasting as well through, through other things I do. I, I edit a football magazine called Nutmeg, a Scottish football magazine. And I interview footballers for that as well. So I've gone through that mm. as well, um, of, of, a, of being a lot more sympathetic around injury, around the, the psychology and mental health around injury, around fan abuse. So I've gone through that with podcasting mm. as well. That's that's interesting. With, with, with writing, I think I, I watch Middlesbrough differently to how I watch other games, neutral games on my own. I watch them with a, looking for things all the time. Yeah. I watch Middlesbrough in the same way I, I always did, which is irrationally, um, ridiculously, and um, with no... <laughs> no no reason uh, just full full love and and all of the rest but other football i'm definitely watching with a keener eye on uh what the physicality of certain players that might make for a good description i don't mean to be nasty i never i hope i never am that's not not me just the way they run who they remind me of what's a good simile about them what's a good metaphor that i could be using what does the referee look like what so i'll, I'll almost do like that player cam sky used to do and i'll watch someone for a long time if if think I'm going to write about um, that, yeah, that yeah. person and so that's different I'm not really looking at the the 
the the game as a as a I, I could never write about tactics or transfers. It doesn't interest me anyhow. But um so I'm I'm looking for stories like that really. Yeah. If I if I early on see someone that looks good when they're running out, I think I hope he does something so I can mention this go <laughs> do two hundred words on the way he runs or something like that. So definitely definitely mm-hmm. but there there are different ways of watching different teams aren't there? It's quite relaxing going to a neutral game whereas watching Chesterfield is it's a different heart rate for you, isn't it? I think. Yeah, I've I've been to watch Garforth Town, which is my local, yeah, my most local uh, club to me, uh, and I've been there to watch it a few times. And it's funny because they have a an incredibly, obviously small main stand where you find yourself sat in front of you know the director, yeah. of the club, and you find them talking about all sorts yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you think, oh, I don't know if I should be tab hanging on to yeah. all of this, but you hear some really interesting nuggets. Yeah. So it does, it does change, doesn't it? Like you say, who you support to, yeah. but it's, it's nice to get that appreciation sometimes of a football match away from the feelings of having to see your team win or, yeah. you know, that stuff, isn't and it? And I'll never, and I've written about this in a couple of books, but I'll never lose that feeling of seeing a different ground for the first time when you come mm. around a corner in a town you don't know and see it's it's shapes, it's different statues, it's different architecture, atmosphere, uh, different things on sale in the, you know, the the hatch, all, all of this, the, the, the green for the first time still gets me like it did when I was six. And as long as that continues, I'll still be traveling around and, and having itchy feet on a, on a Saturday without football, which really was the root of, of Silence mm. of the Stands. Really. Yeah. I wondered, seeing as we've got you here, how would you suggest that people that want to write about football go about writing about it? Is it as simple as just writing about it? <laughs> oh, I, I've, I've never thought too much about it. That's, that's the first useless tip, but the, they're on the right lines if they're writing for the fanzine i would say that's where i started if i am anywhere now that's where i started the middlesbrough fanzine fly me to the moon uh i can vividly remember my first article being printed and getting a copy when when rob who still edits it now came round round the pub uh against liverpool in 2003 and i must have written i've got them all behind me still actually i must have written i, I don't know 80 in 80 odd issues in a row, I was I was almost religious about having to be in it. Um, <laughs> don't look at them now. I never really read back much of my, my old <laughs> stuff, but I, I dare say I'm, I must have improved. I hope I improved through just writing and writing and writing. And <laughs> I'm surprised when I look back at things of my own, uh, like old boxes mum gives me of school books that I was writing football reports when I was about 10 um, and then I found a diary from when I was 14 the other day and it was, I just flicked through it and it was full and I thought, I don't remember writing a diary. Is this about girls or what? How embarrassing. And I opened it and every <laughs> one of them was a match report of Middlesbrough and York City as well. And and I thought, God, I have no recollection of that, but it must have been in me the whole time that I wanted to record. And it wasn't just about who'd scored. It was the same things about what had happened that day and around the match. And, and so that's that would be my main thing is just to write and write and write really and and more crucially to me to read mm. I still read a lot of football books and other books as well but at the minute I'm reading a, a brilliant book about Rochdale 73-74 season and that from that I've just this is really brilliant short sentences and that's a wonderful way of writing and I, I, I'm always getting stuff going going into past classic books as well football and non I just think it sounds the most ridiculous tips in the world but it's just to write loads and read loads is all mm. all I really have to give I think I, I do I suppose if I think about the writing process itself I'm a big a big planner so a, a chapter in a, in a book I'll, I'll have it all laid out as a big essay plan type thing um 
and I'll order it before I start and I'll have uh, it'll be quite quite structured like that really and then tick things off physically on, on a printed sheet mm. as, as I go through them so it's quite quite organized about it it's, um yeah. not very romantic and artistic but uh, <laughs> the notebooks are I hope that the idea is start with the notebooks at the match so you don't kind of record anything uh at matches do you do you generally just write things down then yeah I, ha- I have been tempted by that apart from the how mad you look um i have done a few sort of fake phone calls coming out of matches and held the phone up like that and put it into voice notes mm. especially on freezing cold days the, the practicalities of it are you, your hand doesn't work quite often so, yeah. <laughs> but actually the the greatest suspicion i've had is is when you're writing things in a little notebook people do look at at you funnily i do photo essays with a brilliant photographer called alan mccready for for the aforementioned nutmeg magazine we go down around different grounds doing different themes and he with his big you know pho- photograph his big cameras and all the rest gets no suspicion people are just happy he just gets on me with my <laughs> notebook really funny looks so everyone's got very used to having the photo taken <laughs> one of the books i did 10 years ago now i think hatters Railwomen and knitters that was another travel book around just just english football and um at Luton Hatters, the a steward tried to remove my pen. Um, just while I was taking notes, he came to me and said, "What are you writing, son?" And we've had some bad things written about the club. Really, really odd. Mm-hmm. Really odd. Sort of freedom of speech implications yeah. and all the rest. And actually, they were getting a really good write up until that point. And at that point, I thought, well, "You're not now." <laughs> Change the article. Obscene. <laughs> I believe it's a very changed club now. I have to I have to emphasize. But... I suppose people probably some visiting fans will probably think you're a scout as well. Yeah, yeah, think right. Which yeah. one of our players is he, he after? He, yeah, he's a scruffy <laughs> git in his parker. And, yeah, They're looking to see if there's a club, club badge on your jumper or anything yeah. like that. You'll have to start just going in branded jumpers of different clubs. I know. Oh, if only. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I suppose. Um, I've never written. I went in the press boxes. Uh, for to get to the behind closed doors games in Scotland, but otherwise I've always written from the terraces, and that would be my mm. my point of view. I'm not a press box match reporter. I, I, I'm full of admiration for for writers that can just do it do an on the whistle match report. I find it so stressful. Um, but that that would be me. I, I I my niche. There are many people that have this niche. I don't know if it's a niche, but is to is to write from the the, the terraces really. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. And and a word as well, like you say, you're reading about Rochdale from years gone by. It's like the the historians and the volunteers of football clubs. Yeah. Like the uh because obviously I, I kind of work in the art sector. So I kind of know I kind of sympathize to how clubs work in that it's like next match, next match, next match, next match. And yeah. the, you're constantly on like a treadmill of uh of looking at the next one and the next one. So the clubs don't always have a lot of time to look backwards. A history of clubs no. and things like that but a lot of the work done by club historians and oh. volunteers that all do it for free at Chesterfield we have Stuart Basson and, and Paul Kellett and and they've been incredibly helpful throughout all the podcasting that I've done in interviews because they keep uh, you know team lineups of the last 30-40 years so I can look at what matches yeah. players played in in 1983 or whatever um, and they've been great for contacts as well so I yeah. I assume it's it's people that you've kind of come across in, all over inv- as well. Invaluable, a, a huge service to not just to the game to, and to fans, but to social history because football as a type of social history is neglected. Really, it's almost laughed upon. You know, there are there are academics doing good football study, but but if you try and place it with with the rest of societal history, you get a bit 
by in certain quarters a bit laughed at, and you shouldn't mm. because it's popular history. But yeah, the, the 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 every historian, every club I've ever approached has just been so helpful. And there could be gatekeepers; they could say, "No, I've done all that research. That's mine. What are you do with it?" It's never happened to me. Yeah. I, I send off. I often even said that Southport, a brilliant guy Dan, who's just done a book himself. Um, I sent off the whole chapter just saying, "Would you mind reading it?" And he just brilliant read it through really helpful and it's happened with every book i've done um they just can't share their 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 love almost enough and i'm mm. so glad they exist because as you say no one's ever really made any money out of being a football club historian so that's that is a, a real uh tr- pursuit of, 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 of true love really and i know in terms of the ones at chesterfield they kind of spend a lot of time going back in time looking at newspaper reports and things like that to try and build every lineup of every game, yeah, yeah. you know, going back for decades and decades and decades. Yeah. And I spoke to a player, um, Bennett Steele, who played alongside Gordon Banks for Chesterfield in the 1950s. Yeah. And, um, and it was great to see every match that he'd played in. And he didn't think he'd played in the same team as Gordon Banks because he played the oh, first half and Gordon Banks the second half, but they had in his last oh, game. And he was like, I played alongside him. I didn't realise. Yeah. So it's amazing, like the work that 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 is that's superb, isn't it? Being able to tell that, that story like that. And you're right about football clubs, the 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 don't it's a shame it isn't a paid role really because mm. they're not obliged almost to do it and have a nice little museum. So it falls to these people uh, to collect every team sheet, every program, and I'm just so glad they're there because they are curating the history of these these fine institutions where the institutions themselves aren't perhaps that bothered beyond giving it two pages in the program. Really. Yeah. So so we should go back to 1997. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Middlesbrough fan. Um, so yeah. so um, so how where did it all start for you? Is it like a pass down? Middlesbrough. Um, no, Middlesbrough well, my, fan, my parents it... are from from West Yorkshire, actually, where mm. you are. But we lived on Teesside when I was born, and my dad took me. He gave me two choices to support Leeds, his team, or Middlesbrough. So he took me to Borough on uh, in December 1988, and they drew three all against Aston Villa. He took me to Leeds early in 1990, and they drew nil nil with Oldham Athletic. And I, I suspect it was the six goals logical that, decision that for me. <laughs> so it could have gone so differently. Um, I never would have seen a trophy if I'd supported Leeds, though. Whereas I have seen us win one trophy. <laughs> um, and and yet ever since moved to York when I was four, so always travelling for matches. Um, but also used to go to Bootham Crescent a lot and watch watch York. It worked out perfectly for that. So mm. there were seasons when I was at a game every week, thanks to that. Mm. So I have a Bootham Crescent turnstile in my garden now, which I had to get. Oh, yeah. I bought what it a auction. brilliant had ground to, that was! Get, yeah, absolutely. Of grounds uh, that it's like the walk to the ground. Oh, that that beautiful. was like top notch and a proper day out you used to see families coming for the day out and uh, without stereotyping too much the dad going off to the match and the family you know having, it's just lner's mm. I, I, I was there for the promotion game last year and it, it was good it was loud you, you've been through all this you know all this mm. um but you know there are night matches when you can't get back into town if you can't drive and that's got to be a backward step in, mm. in in, but yes, yeah, so but Borough uh, going ever since season tickets, all the rest, all the big big moments through the years and the many downs, the many relegations, and York have had a similar similar uh, vicissitudes, uh, ups and downs in that time as well. Yeah, so obviously Chesterfield and Middlesbrough shared uh, an yeah. epic game in that ninety seven three three, and I've I've spoken to loads of players that were in that match. It's it's interesting kind of hearing the stories of, you know, Mark, Mark Williams was spending his time trying to kick the ball out the ground because he liked to do that everywhere he visited. And 
John Duncan, who's obviously sadly no longer with us, still kind of kicks himself as why they didn't attack. When they went to 3-3, he was like, I said, I said, settle in, boys. You know, it's 3-3. And he's like, we should have just attacked that last minute. But uh, kind of as a, obviously as a Chesterfield fan, we obviously look at the goal that never was and uh, and things like that. But how is it from your side of things? You got to a cup final. It was great yeah, team. yeah. I was I was behind behind the goal at that one with my mum. Actually, I'd, dad couldn't take me. Um, and it's the, my main memory is is the Hewitt equaliser because I thought we'd well we definitely got out of jail and it was a spectacular comeback. And mm. that just the time it seemed to take to go in it was the the header that was, in my head is still somewhere in orbit. Now it took that long. And that that's that is the one I really remember about that day because of course the goal that didn't stand you, when you're there and it, this is before yeah, the sentence before social media. It's the sentence seemed to say a lot, but there's no going away and hearing loads and loads about it. It might mm. on Radio Five in the car. It might have said, "Oh, Chesterfield robbed or something," but you don't. You're not immersed in it like you are now. You no, can't discuss no. it for out. You saw it then, and you probably all knew. You were like, We've, "I'm sure that went in." Whereas we were all like, "That can't have gone in," <laughs> and, and that's it. Till you get to see a highlight at some stage, if you've remembered to set the video recorder. I think it was on Sky that one, wasn't it? And mm, and then, yeah. and so it doesn't it doesn't go on now like you were the the the, the famous talking points that pundits go on about it. it it probably was, but only in our own memories, which I like. Mm. I like that. It was our own one seen one interpretation of things instead of seen a thousand times over. And of course it was we know now it was a it was a goal and you were you were robbed. But um yeah, that, that whole season is is the I, I must have been uh so 96, 97, I must have been 14 and 15 years old. So that's when you probably care most about football. I still care a lot now, as is probably hopefully coming across, but mm. it's just so vital to you. And I, I have yeah, I had my season ticket. That was the year I went to my first ever away game on my own. I went down to Derby when Emerson had gone missing. So there were there were it just was endlessly dramatic. But it's interesting watching it become quite romanticized by by borough fans, especially who weren't there, who talk about the games like that and, and the the highs. When I remember loads of awful home defeats and dreadful defending by Vickers and Pearson and White and all the rest at the back. It just gets wiped. We did go down though. I cried <laughs> at Ellen Road and then suddenly thought I'm gonna be that kid on match of the day, I better stop. Um <laughs> on, on the last day with Janino on, on the on the turf. But it, it's it is interesting watching it become more and more romanticised. I remember nil one Sunderland at home, just my heart being breaking at that one and, and various defeats like that. Um, I'm not ready to be too no. romantic about it. Yeah, like you say, two cup finals, but a relegation. And it's it, yeah. interesting, but it seems to happen quite a lot, doesn't it? Cup finals yeah. or even cup wins and relegation. They seem yeah. to go hand in hand quite a lot. We had it with the Johnson's paint trophy. Yeah, you expend all your energy when you're not a big club, don't you? Expend emotionally yeah. and physically all the players' energy. On, on, you can't do it all, really, unless you've got the, the the wealth to do so. Yeah, definitely. How has kind of football changed for you, do you think? Uh, because it's I've noticed a big difference, like post-COVID, uh, certainly at Chesterfield, obviously we had... We've had lots of bad things happening over the last few years. It's been a it's been a proper treadmill of horror uh, over the last few years. But it seems like after COVID happened, there was a real resurgence in crowds, especially in non-league and yeah. uh, local matches and regional football and stuff like that. You obviously go around visiting lots of these clubs. So have you kind of noticed a difference in it? Certainly in the first season back, I felt the atmosphere was different. I thought it was more vibrant, more 
uh, raw than it had been for a long, long time. Just the the shared feeling of being back there again and oh, the relief. That's probably the main word of it. And I also felt players and teams had a long uh, a honeymoon period that ran into September and October almost with results don't matter that much. We're here. We're back in the pub at one o'clock. We're seeing that fellow whose name we don't know that we sit next to and, and all, all of this, <laughs> certainly in that first year. I also felt it led to some worse behaviour as well. I don't want to sound like an old man, but I, as I've mentioned, go everywhere by train and I, I did feel that as well. There was almost that mm. it let out all types of relief um, at, at football and around match days and things. I think it's a bit calmer this year, but I do, I do think it's something's shifted. And I do think, I hope, and I think numbers are bearing this out that people that couldn't go to to football league football because it was behind closed doors and did drift to non league. I think some of them are going back and I hope they continue to go back and I hope they go back over the next few weekends when the Premier League and Championship aren't in action and get, go to the National League and, and North mm. and South and, and all of the rest of it. But I, I do think we we found our love again and I felt the players and fans had a renewed appreciation of each other and what our roles were. I don't know how long it's lasted. I think it's probably back to normal now in that relationship, <laughs> but maybe that's not such a bad thing. Yeah. It, there is something glorious about going to a non-league game. Both teams playing four four two, big yeah. man, little man up front. Yeah. <laughs> it feels it just uh, I've I've yeah. noticed myself going to a few more uh kind of non-league games just local to me in Leeds. Yeah. Now now when Chesterfield are uh are not playing and things like that, because there's just something glorious about it isn't yeah, it yeah i think i think when people feel jaded which they regularly do with football at the top i certainly do i hardly i don't watch that much premier mm. league um it, any non-league visit revitalizes what you first loved about the game and it's preserved a lot of those things and i i, I nearly everyone I know that, that makes those trips comes away feeling like that even if the game's not great they've got back to the core of why they first went and that lack of var I think and that has a massive VR. effect, doesn't it? Yeah. Being able to celebrate a goal, it's, it's knowing just that you can celebrate yeah. a goal. <laughs> it's one of the key reasons I'm happy with, with Borough. Uh, I'm happy with a cup run and a playoff, a defeated playoff season is my aim these days because <laughs> avoid VAR, avoid the Premier League. Not sure the people that tried to bring money into the club would say the same. But... <laughs> so if people want to read more of your work or anything like that, where do they go? Yeah, my, my own uh, website is Daniel Gray Writer and uh, I sell books, sign books on there or, or the books are in all the, the usual places online and elsewhere. Great. I've got to say, it's one of those books that you read and it makes you want to firstly go to football matches, which is, which is great. And it makes you want to, it does make you want to write about football matches or at least kind of uh, zone into experiencing different things while you're at a football match. Because yeah, there's just hilarious awesome. things that happen at matches. That yeah. um, that sometimes you forget about. But yeah, you have to kind of at five o'clock. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing with the notepad. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. One goal in injury time, or especially if you're supporting the club, can completely change your day, can't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There aren't many things like that either. Yeah. That can be changed in a second like that. No. True. Great. Well, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. Brilliant.